every storm, including coronavirus. And so right now, Father God, in our restful position, we thank you for healing all of those who have been infected. We thank you, Father God, that you are protecting those who are not. We bless your name, Father God, that you are giving our leaders, local, state, national, and global, the extra wisdom as they navigate this pandemic and economic uncertainty. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are strengthening your global church. That the church of the Lord Jesus Christ will stand as never before. And in standing, we'll proclaim your goodness and your glory. That will reveal to us how we can partner together with you to reach the needs of those around us. Thank you for calming our fears. Fill us afresh with your hope, your joy, your peace as we continue to look unto Jesus and trust in you. Use this pandemic to pave the way for spiritual renewal. We want your glory, your power, and your healing to be on display globally. And so, Father, for this, we say, Lord Jesus, we bless your name. We thank you for the privilege and the opportunity. And we praise you forever and ever. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen, amen and amen and amen. And so this morning, uh, I just want to share with us, uh, as we're sharing digitally, electronically, and again, like Pastor IBK said before me, I want to welcome all of those that have tuned in from around the world. And we pray that as we navigate these times together, the Lord God who had begun a good work in all of us will perfect everything that concerns him. I'm speaking forth from World Outreach Church for All Nations in Lawrenceville, Georgia, where our vision is to build strong families and serve the global communities. And so we welcome all our families, our friends, locally and across the world as we participate in this service together. Uh, let me just say that this service this morning is an interruption of our regular programming. By that I mean, at the beginning of this year, we began to share on four pillars or core values of this house. Sharing, serving, giving, and praying. And so for all year long, we've been taking those four pillars one by one and dealing with all of them. And so, as of last Sunday, we were speaking on the series of giving, how we should give unto the Lord because of his goodness back unto us. But if you've been living in the earth in the last few days, you recognize something that's interrupted our normal regular programming. And therefore, the church is now responding. 
So this morning, for a little while, I want to speak to us in living in two worlds at the same time. Living in two worlds at the same time. I know that everyone is well aware of the changes that's befalling not only our beloved nation, but the global community. We have canceled entire sports season for fear of spreading a virus. Uh, the government is telling us to stay home instead of going to work. Uh, we have state, local, and national governments not allowing meetings, some cases 10, other cases 50 or more, together. Uh, we shut down borders for flights coming in from other nations, and that's even getting worse by the minute as I speak. Restaurants have closed except for takeout. And if you live in America, you know restaurants, it are middle names. The stock market tanked over 10,000 points in a matter of weeks. And then, of course, all of the schools are closed. Now, those are the obvious things that we're all aware of. But there are less obvious things, and yet just as critically important while this increasing uneasiness about coronavirus is taking place. You have people who are experiencing loss of pay because they cannot go to work. You have the vulnerable among us, the elderly, who depend on certain things in order to survive. In fact, for those elderly, they cannot go to the store and clean out the shelves of water and tissues and like everybody else. And yet they have needs. And so this morning, I just want to remind us, I want to bring our attention to what the Word of God is saying to us in a time like this. We are living in two worlds at the same time. Now, let me just go to uh, first a scripture in John chapter 16, verse 30. No, actually, John 16, verse 33. Let me just read that. You don't need to put that on the screen. John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you that in me, oh my God, you need to underline that in your Bible. Not in Donald Trump, not in the governor, not in whoever is the prime minister or the president of, of your nation. No, 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 no. Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you that in me, in me, me, Christ, you may have what? Peace. Yes, our governments are trying. Our elected officials, they're doing all that they know in order to allay our fears and make provision and uh, exercise caution. But at the end of the day, we must understand that by mind strength, no one shall prevail. So Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you that in me, you need to underline that, you may have peace. In the world, you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now, why did I read this passage? The world in which we are living right now is foreign to Americans. Even when we had 9-11, things were not like this. 
We could go to work, we could go to restaurants, school was, schools were open. But right now, we are in a total state of lockdown. So the question is, where will this lead? As humans, the answer is, we don't know. Now, even though as humans we don't know, it is clear that God knows. <laughs> There's never been a problem that God has not already a solution for. And that brings me back to John 16, 33. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, now, I'm speaking these things to you before they happen. Because the Bible says in Amos that God will not do a thing except he first reveals it to his servants, the prophets. So Jesus was preparing his disciples for what was about to happen. He said, listen now, in the world, you have distress, you have tribulation, you have troubles. He said, but be of good cheer. Not because of your state government, not because of a local government, not because of a national government. No, no, not because of your citizenship. He said, be of good cheer. Why? Because you are in me. Hallelujah. He spoke the problem and the solution before the problem showed up. So, did God prepare us for coronavirus? My answer is a resounding yes. I remember a few months ago, right here in this auditorium, December 31st, we brought forth a message from Romans 5, 17, where the Bible says to us, that because we've received the gift of righteousness and the abundance of grace, that we will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. In that message, I told the church and those that had ears to hear that we are not reigning over one another, rather that we reign over fears, over emotions, and over circumstances. Now, why will God give such a word yeah. if there will be some if there will be if there will not be something for which we need it? Exactly. Now, a few weeks after that message, December 31st, in January, a whole week, we did a teaching on the mind of Christ. One night of those teachings, we addressed specifically that the mind of Christ is the mind of perfect peace. Hallelujah. So the issue is, whatever is happening now, God gave us a prepared message to equip us to be able to address it. And so I'm saying this before I flow into the message this morning fully, that we must have ears to hear so that we have the equipping that we need in order to navigate these uncharted territories. To humans, it's uncharted, but to God, it's not a surprise. Now, let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. Living in two worlds at the same time. So there's a reason in which God places us in a body or in a family. And so the instruction to that family will come through whoever God gives the word to, whoever is speaking. And so we all need to take heed how we are hearing and take heed what we are hearing. Because what you are hearing now 
will prepare you for tomorrow. And the recent word that God has given you is part of your preparation for where he's taking us. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 in the Amplified Classic. This is what it says. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has planted eternity in men's hearts and minds. This is a divinely implanted sense of a purpose walking through the ages which nothing under the sun but God alone can satisfy. Yet, so that men cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Let me just take a pause right there. The Bible is telling us that God has planted eternity in men's heart. What's eternity? The best way for me to describe that word eternity so everybody can understand it is that God has placed a God-shaped vacuum. A God-shaped vacuum in every human being's heart. When you are born, when you are born again, that vacuum is filled with the presence of God. But for the unbeliever, that vacuum is there, but not able to connect to the living God. Let me say that again. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also planted eternity. Every human being has the God capacity to connect to God because God made it so. He's planted eternity in men's hearts and minds. This is a divinely implanted sense of a purpose walking through the ages which nothing under the sun but God alone can satisfy. That eternity in the hearts of men is what creates the feeling within unbelievers knowing that they lack something, they need something, they need someone. But unfortunately, because they don't have the revelation of who God is, they try to fill that need with alcohol, with sex, with gambling, and all the other vices. Because they figure if they can just do this a little bit, they'll be satisfied. But God placed that vacuum in there because he, God, wants to fill it. So if you're listening to me today and you're not born again, the hopelessness you're feeling, the, 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 the lack that you sense, the sense of lack of fulfillment that's overtaking you, is God wanting to fill that vacuum in your life. Nothing else you do will work except you call upon the name of the Lord. Now, John chapter 3, verse 13. Again, I'm speaking on living in two worlds at the same time. So you can see that from Ecclesiastes 3, 11, as a born-again believer, you have eternity in your heart already, and yet you live in Atlanta, Georgia. Mm. Let me say that one more time. As a believer, a man or a woman who is born again, you see that God has planted eternity in your heart. In essence, you are carrying heaven inside of you. But at the same time, you have a local, physical location where you're living in. Now, look at John chapter 3, verse 13. John 3, 13. In the, uh, what translation do I want that? Yeah, that's good. And yet, this is the encounter between Jesus and Nicodemus. It says, and yet no one has ever gone up to heaven. But there is one who has come down from heaven, the Son of Man himself, who is, dwells, has his home in heaven. 
good God Almighty. I'm about to have a sanctified feet up here. Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus in Jerusalem, physically. And he's telling Nicodemus, he said, listen, no one has ever gone up to heaven except one, which is Jesus himself, the Son of Man. But look at how he describes his location. Even though he was physically speaking to Nicodemus in Jerusalem, in Israel, he said, I'm in heaven. Oh my goodness. And yet no one has ever gone up to heaven, but there is one who has come down from heaven, the Son of Man himself, who is, dwells, has his home in heaven. So his home is in heaven, and yet it was in Jerusalem. Now, I'm going somewhere with this because the title of this message is Living in Two Worlds at the Same Time. Acts 17, verse 28 in the New Living Translation. Let's, let me bring you into this now. God planted eternity in your hearts. Jesus was in the earth and at, at the same time in heaven. So you had a dual citizenship. Acts 17 verse 28 in the NLT. Thank you very much for in him we live. God. And in him we move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. In other words, what you just saw about Jesus being in the earth in Jerusalem and at the same time being in heaven is not just about Jesus. Paul is now roping or grafting you and I into that same equation. He said what is true of Jesus is also true of you. For in him, Christ, we live. In him, Christ, we move. And in him, Christ, we exist. Give that same verse to me in the TPT, I believe it is. Thank you. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. It is through him that we live and do what? Function. It is through him, Jesus, that we live and function and have our identity. This is huge. I'm telling you this morning, you and I, in spite of coronavirus, we have two locations. Hallelujah. I have heaven in me and I live in Lawrenceville. <laughs> Hallelujah. I don't know who you are, what you are, but I'm here to tell you, if you are a child of God, you are carrying a dual citizenship. And you must recognize that the heaven in you supersedes everything else. Amen? Now, now, let's go now to uh, Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Thank you, Jesus. Ah. Living in two worlds at the same time. Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Here we go. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Watch this. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What do I want you to see? I want you to see that phrase on the first line there that says, in Christ 
who are in Colossae. Faithful brethren, where are these faithful brethren? What's more than else? They're in two places. These faithful brethren are in two places. Oh my God. Look at the sequence. He's saying to me, Pastor Ibeke, you are in Christ and you are in Colossae. He said to me, Sharon Akimola, you are in Christ and you are in Colossae. He said to me, Lola, you are in Christ and you are in Colossae. My God. He said, Bank Akimola, you are in Christ and you are in Lawrenceville. The, don't miss the sequence. You are not in Lawrenceville and in Christ. You are first in Christ and then you are in Lawrenceville. You are first in Christ and then you are in Ibadan, Nigeria. You are first in Christ, and then you are in London, England. You are first in Christ, and then you are in New York City. You are first in Christ, and then you are in Sydney, Australia. You are first in Christ, and you are in Harare, Zimbabwe. You are first in Christ, first in Christ, first in Christ, first in Christ. That's your pre that's your preeminent identity. Hallelujah. And when you recognize that you are a citizen in Christ, my God, when you recognize you are at rest in him, then you get the direction for what you have to do in London, Sydney, Ibadan, Lagos, Lawrenceville, Atlanta, New York, Chicago, wherever it is that you are living in. Our problem is we are trying to live in Atlanta first before we live in Christ. That's the problem. That's the problem. We are no longer just living in Atlanta or anywhere, any city in the world. You are first of all found in Christ. And when you find yourself spiritually in Christ, then you can physically, in Accra, Lawrenceville, Snaville, Fulton County, live with your families, Working and doing other commitments in peace, in joy, and with pleasure. This is huge. Because the thing that's going on all around us, if you take your cues only from what you see around you, it will not allow you to live out your full destiny that is only found in Christ. Let me go to the scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. Let's see what Paul says about this again. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. We are living in two worlds. Now, are we saying we should ignore what's happening? No. No, we shouldn't ignore it. This is a reality. But you must understand that in spite of what is happening, God has a plan. You must understand that in spite of all the uncertainty around us, God is not caught in surprise. He knew this. That's why he's been preparing his church for a long time for how to cope, how to respond in this time. No, we should not be careless. No, we should not be foolish. You take precautions. You walk in wisdom. Use common sense. Everything they told us to do, we do those things. But we just recognize that those things in and of themselves do not solve the problem. And that whatever is happening around us, God has a bigger picture. And that's what I want you to capture this morning. In 2 Corinthians 4, 18, it says, but why, no, let's start from verse 17, I'm sorry. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, thank you. For our light affliction. <laughs> now, you need to ask Paul what he defines as light affliction. 
I mean, this guy was having the hardest time of his life and ministry. But because of what he has seen, and because of where he is in, at rest in Christ's finished work, he could define those other things as light affliction. He said, for a light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal word of glory. Verse 18. Aha, this is the key. Why we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen? Why? For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Just leave it there for one moment. Did you see what Paul just said? Did you hear what he just said? He said we should not look at the things which are seen. You turn on CNN, all you see is coronavirus. You have news anchor. They're making their career because of coronavirus. CNN, Fox News, all of them are like that. Now, should they not report the news? They should. I don't mind them reporting the news, but they should not prophesy to us. They are not prophets. What do I mean by that? They are not just merely telling us what's happened. They are projecting into the future what will happen. Who are they to tell us that? Who made them prophets to, to, the, house of, to, to, to the world or to the nations? No. The Bible says we should not look at the things which are seen. What is being seen? How many people are infected? How many people are dying? When did it happen? These are the things that have been projected over and over and over and over and over and over. But God is saying to you and I that we should not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. We are admonished to fix our eyes on what's not seen, which is the spirit world. Your rest in Christ. Because what is seen is temporal, but what is not seen is eternal. What do I mean by that? Question. What happened to Ebola? He came and went. What happened to H1N1? It came and it went. Hallelujah. What happened to MERS? M-E-R-S. It came and it's gone. What happened to SARS? It came and it's gone. I am telling you by the word of God that the same fate that happened to Ebola, that happened to SARS, that happened to MERS, that same fate will happen to coronavirus. It is temporary. It is not here to stay. The only thing that will stay is the word of God, is the power of God, is the presence of God, is Jesus Christ and his church to the glory of God in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Stop looking at the things that are seen, but look at the things that are unseen. That's what delivered Moses out of Egypt. The Bible said that Moses forsook Egypt. My God. Why? Because he saw him who was invincible. There is an invisible world right now looking down, looking at your situation, looking at your family, looking at your businesses. There's an invincible world. His name is Jesus, the Son of the living God. He is the one that's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the ending. He's that which was, which is, and which is to come. The Almighty God. He's the first and He's the last. He's the bright and morning star. He's going to shine forth through this darkness. He's going to shake this world. One more time to the glory of God. He's going to shake this our world to the glory of his name. Hallelujah.
Jesus is about to take his church. Hallelujah. I cannot tell you how excited I am. I am excited because I've seen him who is invincible. I've seen him who's unseen. I know that I know that I know that I know that God has something he's about to unleash. Hallelujah. My God. In Exodus chapter 11, God told the Israelites, he said, this day, I'm going to do a thing in this land. He said, but when I do this thing, I believe verse 17 of Exodus 11. He said, but well, I think when I do this thing, not even the tongue of the dog of an Israelite will be moved. He said, because today, I'm going to show a distinction. I'm going to show a separation between Egypt and Israel. Hey, when a time of separation, when a time of distinction, when a time where God wants to show the church to be the church. The question is, there are three types of people right now. They are believers. Secondly, they are make-believers. And thirdly, they are unbelievers. Believers are those who have received the gift of righteousness. Make-believers are those who are quasi-believers. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. So they go around mounting that they are believers. The day and the time is about to expose who you are. And then, of course, we have unbelievers. That is so straightforward. So let me just close this morning very quickly. How do we respond? Very quickly. Number one, let's spend time feeding on God's word. Let's spend time feeding on God's word. First Peter 2 verse 2 says, As newborn babes, we should desire the sincere milk of the word of God that we may grow thereby. In other words, I don't know if you've ever seen a baby. When a baby is born in the hospital, first few days and weeks of the baby's life, they only do two things. They eat and sleep. That's all they do. Yeah, that, that too. <laughs> so Peter is saying as newborn babes, just as babies, they don't want to play with toys, no. They don't want to do anything but just eat. So it's saying for me and you, in this hour, we should give ourselves to feeding on the word of God. Number two, don't panic, but rest in his finished work. Let's go to John chapter 6, verse 10. Actually, well, okay, let me do Psalms 91. That's, that's very common. That's popular. Everybody knows Psalms 91, verse 1. For sake of time, Psalms 91, verse 1. Don't panic, but rest. Psalm 91 verse 1. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Give me verse 2. Verse 2. 
I will say of the Lord, he's my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him will I trust. Now, back in that verse 1, when it says, he who dwells, that word dwell in the Hebrew is the same word, rest, or sit. So I see a lot of people quoting Psalms 91. But the point is, if you are not resting, that's the first verse. He who rests in the second place. I know you are not resting because I see you in Costco trying to buy all the toilet paper. <laughs> we know you are not resting because you went to Kroger and picked up 25 crates of water by yourself. Because you are afraid that there will be none tomorrow. That is not rest. He says, he who rests or sits or dwells in that secret place. So the second thing we must understand is we should not panic, but rest. Rest. Rest in his finished work. Understand that everything you need, everything about you has been finished, taking care of the Lord Jesus by the Lord Jesus Christ. We see this also in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6. Where the Bible talks about how me and you are made to sit together with him in heavenly places. The first posture of a believer is sitting or resting. Now, watch this now. I will not turn there because I need to close this now. John chapter 6, in verse 10, Jesus was about to perform a miracle. There was a need. He needed to multiply loaves. Jesus said, make the disciples sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. Watch this. He did not make the provision until their position was right. The sitting down was a position that led to the provision. So if you are running helter-skelter, it still can't do much for you. Your position must be right. That's why we are made to sit together in heavenly places. Read that verse again. He said, Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now look at the next sentence. Now there was much grass in the place. That reminds me of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down where? In green pastures. What's green pastures? So a sheep. It's a place of abundance. So there is abundance in this lack waiting for you. Yeah. Hallelujah. Businessman, God already made a provision for your abundance. Even though, a, even though this is a time of lack, I'm telling you, God has made provision for your abundance. All he's looking for is your position. Are you sitting or are you fretting? Because when you are seated, you will see your provision. But while you are fretting, you are out of faith and you will not be able to see what God has provided. Number three, don't pray out of stress. Don't pray out of stress. Pray from a place of relationship. Father, I know things around me are tough. I understand that, but you also prepared me for that. You told me that in this world there will be tribulation. But you said I should be of good cheer. Because you have overcome the world. 
I trust you because you are a man of your word. You hasten over your word to perform it. I thank you that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Have we not said it, would you not do it? Therefore, God, I thank you. I thank you that provision is made. My family is whole. My family is provided for. We are safe in the name of Jesus because of who you are. You pray not out of stress, but out of relationship. And lastly, because I have to bring this to close, you have a confident expectation of good. Confident expectation of good. Psalms 91 verse 3. Let's just close with that. Confident expectation of good coming to you. Psalm 91 verse 3. Surely. That's how it starts that verse. What does surely mean? Surely. Certainly. Certainly. It cannot fail. It will not miss. No. Surely. He shall deliver. Look at the word, shall. He didn't say he might. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. That is his promise. It cannot fail. Because God is not a man that they should lie. Neither the son of man that they should repent. Has he not said it, will you not do it? And so as close this morning, by making an appeal to those of you that are out there that is not born again. Yeah. This is not a time or a season to be without God. It's obvious that everything around us is failing. The only thing and the only one who will stand is God and his people. And you must know this morning that for God so loved the world, including you, in spite of what's happened with you, in spite of what you've done, in spite of what you are doing, God is not as concerned about your behavior as he is about your push off your heart to believe him and trust him. For God so loved the world, he says, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. God does not want you to perish. The Bible says, God wants everyone, he desires for everyone to be saved. He's just only asking you to believe and receive the one and final sacrifice for sin through his son, Jesus Christ. That's all he's asking. So I ask you this morning, will you open your heart and accept this gift of righteousness? You can't earn it. You cannot merit it. You cannot deserve it. It's a gift. And this is a gift that God has promised to all those who believe on his son, Jesus Christ. Is that you this morning? I pray that the Holy Spirit will give you the courage and the boldness to make that decision right now. Because the to today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow is not promised to anybody. And if you just accept Jesus and the sacrifice he made for you, he will come in, into your heart, and become one with you, and you will be soundly, gloriously born again. I'm going to say a very simple prayer for you if you just repeat this prayer after me. Say, Heavenly Father, 
I come to you this morning as I know how. I thank you for your love that caused you to give your son so freely when I'm so undeserving to forgive my sins. You said in your word that if I should acknowledge or confess the Lord Jesus and believe in my heart that you raised him from the dead, that I shall be saved. And so, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your free gift of righteousness. I receive it now. I accept it now. I trust in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, for now and for eternity. In the majestic, glorious name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father God. I'm born again. I'm a child of God. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God forevermore. Now, if you said that prayer, we'd like to hear from you. You can either call us at 770-934-1347 or contact us by email. I believe the email address will be shown on the screen. And over now, uh, we come back to you again on Wednesday evening. And so over now to my son, my pastor, my bishop, Bishop IBK. Yeah. Hallelujah. Saints of God, was that good word? Yes. Wow.